Let me ask you, uh, please, uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, again, we come to your word. It's amazing to us that we have it. Please, I pray for me, for us, that we never take it for granted that we have the very word of God before us. Uh, what a gift. Uh, who is like you, God? A God who speaks to his people so near to us. And so we're grateful for this. I pray that you would enable us then to listen, to hear, to understand, to speak, to think that which is true about you and only that which is true. And Father, that you would enable us then to believe so we can, we can live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Mark in the New Testament. Mark chapter 9. I want to read verses 2 through 13. Mark chapter 9, please. Hear the word of God. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and he should be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Now, excuse me. Uh, This, as we've been saying, is if the season in the church year of Epiphany, this happens to be the last Sunday in Epiphany. Next Sunday begins Lent if you're tracking in any sort of Christian calendar kind of way. But this is the last Sunday of Epiphany, so I've taken the liberty to move us up a bit to Mark in chapter 9, which is a traditional passage during Epiphany. Epiphany, remember, the the, uh, dictionary definition goes like this. Epiphany, a moment in which you suddenly see or understand something in a new or a clear way. So you've had an epiphany and you see it. Clearly now, or in a new way, or it could mean this, a usually sudden manifestation of the essential nature or meaning of something. You get it, you've, you see it, you've had an epiphany, you see. And, 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 and the big question for us during this season of epiphany is, who is Jesus really? So you said you don't need to know about epiphany, but you do need to know Who Jesus is, really. You see, there's a longing in our hearts. So it's suppressed deeply by many, all of us at times. 
To really see God. You remember with St. Augustine who had this great statement about God. He said, you've made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. There's something about us that needs to really see God. If we're to survive, if we're to live, if we're to make it, if you will, even just that, you might remember Moses and his life. There was a time when, when he was leading the Israelites out of Egypt and he was at Mount Sinai and things were going really badly. And Moses was about to, to sort of give up on everything. And, and, and so he, he says to the Lord, he says, let me see your glory. And by that he means I need to see you, God. I need to know who you are. If you're really with me, I need to know that. Because if you're not with me, I'm not going on. And I need to see you. I need to see who you really are. This psalm I read earlier, um, Psalm 27. Uh, David's in the midst of great difficulty. And he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the, is, is the very light of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And, and his, 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 his point is that, 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 that God, you are my source of strength and, and help. I find refuge in you. I need to, I need to see you. So he says, Lord, you said, seek your face. Lord, your face, I really seek. He says, one thing I seek after, one thing that I desire in my life is that I dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that I live in your tents, you know, so I can see you. Because if I don't, I'll die. We read a passage earlier, too, from Second Peter chapter 1, where Peter reflects on this incident. And, and he's writing to a group of people who are suffering. He's writing a group of people who are persecuted. And he's trying to encourage them. And, and he gives them his witness, his testimony. I've seen the glory of the Lord. I've seen it. And you have in some measure as well as a believer. So, so trust him. It's important you see that. We see, so, so the Lord, you see, he has this incident. Now, Peter himself had had an epiphany. It's recorded in chapter 8, you remember, that Jesus had asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then they went round and round various answers. And then Jesus pointedly said to them, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I don't know, the people, but you. Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, 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 and Jesus said, that was an epiphany <laughs> because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Simon. Uh, my father in heaven revealed it to you. It was, it was there. He, he saw it right then and there. He really saw it. And what he saw, he wasn't really sure what he saw exactly because Jesus went on and said, now this is what that means that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, that I've come. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed, you see, and I'm going to rise from the dead. And you remember, Peter said, no, you're not. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking like God thinks, Peter. You're thinking like Satan thinks. And then Jesus would unpack that even more. He would say, so if you want to be my disciples, then you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He said, that's, that's what it is, you see. You, you, you turn away from everything that isn't of me. You turn away from everything that isn't following me. You, you turn away from everything that, and you follow 
me. You repent and you believe, you trust in me and follow after me, he says. Now he says, and when you're thinking about this, when you're thinking about whether should I follow him or should I not follow him, remember, there's more to it than just this life. Following me, Jesus would say, believing in me, trusting me, means everything, both for this life and the life to come. Because you see, if you, if you don't follow me and you cling to all that isn't of me, if you will, then you might gain everything, the whole world, but you'll lose your soul. But if you... Lose your life for my sake and the gospel, you'll find it. You'll have life. So he says, it means everything. So, so we talk about Jesus, this epiphany to really see him, to really know him. We realize it really means everything. Our whole eternal destiny is tied up in how we relate to Jesus. Do we know him? Do we believe in him or don't we? That's what's the point here. That's why we make such a big fuss of him, you know. I always say that in, in discussions with everyone, Jesus is our trump card. You're right. He's, it, it's all about him. Is he who he claimed to be? Did he do what he said he did? Is he doing what he says he's doing? Is he going to do what he's promised? You know, it's all wrapped up in Jesus. You take Jesus, the person Jesus... Out of Christianity, and it isn't. It isn't just that he came and taught. It's that he came and was. He came and did. And who he was and what he did, no one else could be or do. But everything is dependent upon him. We need to see him. We need to know him. Well, Peter, James, and John had that experience one day. Jesus takes them, the three of them, up on a mountain. Now, if you're a Bible reader and you read mountain, you start to anticipate seeing God because he seems to show up on mountains all the time. And, and so, so there he is, and he, and he goes with Peter, James, and John up on this, up on this mountain. Now, Mark doesn't give us a great... Um, amount of detail about all that's going on. You can read this incident in Matthew. You can read it in Luke. Uh, Luke tells us that Jesus goes up to pray. Mark doesn't tell us why he went up. He just says he went up. Uh, and uh, he takes Peter, James, and John. We don't know why. Those three seem to be kind of in the inner circle of Jesus for whatever reason. They're the ones he takes them with him. You'll notice that when Jesus goes to pray after, as he anticipates his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, he takes them as well. A mountain, here he is again. Peter, James, and John. On a mountain, he'd just been talking about his death. And there he, he comes. And the scripture says that he's transfigured before them. There's a change. All of a sudden, they see Jesus in a way they hadn't seen him. They see Jesus in a way he wouldn't be seen again. Until he comes in his glory. They see him there at that moment in time. They see Jesus, the exalted one. Uh, You remember in Jesus' high priestly prayer when he was praying right before his crucifixion. uh, John chapter 17 and verse 5. He prays, verse 5, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. 
Now, Jesus is, was even then, glorious, but his glory was was veiled. We, we, we read of that in Philippians chapter 2, though we, uh, he was equal to God. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. His glory was veiled, you see. that I think this for me is one of the, I've said this before, you know this, you know at least this of me, that I've said this, that one of my favorite lines in any song we sing is the Christmas hymn by Charles Wesley. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And it was veiled, you see. Jesus would walk down the street and people would pay him no mind. And he's the very son of God. They should be falling on their face before him. But they didn't, because it was veiled. The glory of Jesus was veiled in this, in this humility, uh, even we see as, as he comes and they see it. Now, if you would study this passage and read about it in commentaries, at this point, almost everyone who's writing at least devotionally says, we really should just stop at this point in time because what can really be said to see the glory of Jesus. Of course, no one stops. Because there's this Moses and Elijah that show up. And we begin to think about, all right, why are they here, Moses and Elijah? Well, Luke tells us in his account that they talk to Jesus. Uh, Mark says they're talking, but, but, but Luke tells us what they're talking about. They're talking about Jesus' departure, which was going to go on, when going to happen in Jerusalem. And, and in fact, it literally means they were talking about Jesus' exodus, which Moses would know a lot about. But the question is, why? Why is it? Then Moses and Elijah show up with Jesus at this particular place. I mean, true, they were famous. I don't know quite how Peter, James, and John knew it was Moses and Elijah. They must have heard the discussion, or maybe it's just all revealed. I don't know, but I doubt they had seen the pictures. But, but, but they knew it was, they would come to know it was Moses uh, and Elijah right there. They're famous, Moses and Elijah. They were Famous for being on mountains at great times, right? I mean, Moses on Mount Sinai in the very presence of the Lord and getting the law and all of that. Uh, Elijah, a couple of mountains, Mount Carmel, but, but also the mountain where he was discouraged. And he went and he heard the voice of the Lord, not in the earthquake and not in the wind and not in the fire, but in the whisper. And, the, and so, so, so they both encountered God on mountains. Here they were in another mountain, uh, encountering Jesus, if you will, in that sense. They were both great uh, deliverers, uh, Moses, of course, delivering the Israelites out of Egypt, slavery to the Egyptians. Jesus, of course, would be the very one who would deliver from sin. Elijah, uh, delivering on that great moment at Mount Carmel where he delivered, if you will, uh, his people from these uh, false uh, priests, the priests of Baal in that great dramatic time and expression there. Jesus, of course, would come and deliver from the false God. 
Moses would represent the law. Uh, Elijah, the, the prophets, Moses received the law in such a way that it's even called the law of Moses. And this law of God, this law of Moses is the covenant that God makes with Moses with stipulations and, and promises. And it governed all of the life of Israel, how they were to relate to God and live in his presence, their, their, their private, personal, even moral uh, uh, lives as they uh, understood themselves and related to one another in love. They were to live, to love one another. Um, their corporate religious life was governed by this law, the, the, the sacrifices that they would make, the, the priests who would represent them, the, the temple where they would be, uh, um, all of it, the feasts and the festivals and their, their worship corporate life together. Even their civil government would regulate them and the kings and so forth and so on. And we know that Jesus would come and fulfill all that law in his own obedience and taking the penalty of the law. He would be the priest. He would be the sacrifice. He would be the prophet. He would be the king. All of that Jesus would fulfill. Elijah comes, of course, and represents the prophetic word concerning the coming of, of this Messiah. Jesus would fulfill that. He would be all of that. But But I think this probably... Most of all, and that is that Moses was the model of the prophet that was to come. And Elijah was the forerunner of that prophet. In Deuteronomy and uh, chapter 18, uh, we hear this from, from Moses, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they were right in what they've spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or speaks in the name of the other gods, that same prophet shall die and so forth. But you get the point. Moses is saying that there's another going to come like me, a deliverer, one like me. And you're to listen to him. God says, I'll raise up one like that. And of course, Elijah was the forerunner of this one who was to come. In Malachi in chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And we know that that preparation has been made. And, and it was John the Baptist. And Jesus will say, this is John. He's the one who made preparation. He's the one like Elijah He's the Elijah who was to come. And so we see all of this. And, and what we're seeing is the continuity of all of God's plan and promises. Jesus isn't some new thought of God. Jesus doesn't show up because God was scratching his head and said, well, nothing's worked yet. I better send Jesus. But this is the way it was always planned to be. And so, so here are these two Men, Moses and Elijah, who's, who represent the very promises of God. Moses saying, there's one going to come like me. Listen to him. There he is. And Elijah saying, I've come to, to, to be the forerunner, to, to make preparation. Here he is. 
And so the disciples get to see all of that and they see the glorified Jesus, who he really is. It terrified them. Might only imagine. Terrified. I don't know. I think of the prophet Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was terrified. He saw who he was as a sinner. And the scripture says that Isaiah saw that vision of God and he fell on his face before the Lord and said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I come from a people of unclean lips. He says, I'm becoming undone. I'm blowing up. I'm going to die. Even Peter had seen a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. Fishing. It was that time we've mentioned recently where Jesus came to Peter after Peter had been fishing all night and said, let's go back out. And they went back out and they got so much fish that the boat almost capsized. And, and uh, it was at that moment in time that Peter had an epiphany, saw the glory of Jesus. And his response was, get away from me. My response would have been, you want a partner in fishing? But Peter's response was, get away from me, because he realized who Jesus was and he, he knew that he was a sinner. You see, uh, John, the apostle, would later see Jesus and we have it when he was on the island of Patmos and Jesus shows up. And, and what happens to John? He hits the ground, the scripture says, as one who was dead. And Jesus has to reach up and pull him up and say, get up. And, and so terrified to see the glorious Jesus. The glory that he had before the world began. He, he saw Jesus is who he really, they saw Jesus is who he really, really was. They were terrified. So, so, so Peter has this idea. We'll make some, some, some shelter, some tents, some tabernacles for each one of them, for, 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 for Moses, for Elijah, for Jesus. Uh, we'll keep them here. Now, again, I don't know why that came into his mind to do that. Um, he must have thought it was honoring. He must have thought it was worshipful. He must have thought this is the right thing to do at this particular point in time. Did he connect it with the Feast of Booths where the, where the uh, uh, Israelites lived in these little tents that they had made and they were living in the presence of God and it was uh, to remind them of, of how God had delivered them through the wilderness wanderings and all of that. And it came to be known as a time when they would live in the very presence of God in, in, in the day of the Lord. And maybe that's what he was thinking. Maybe he was thinking, I was right after all. Jesus doesn't need to die. Look, it's all done. Everything's great. The glorious Christ. Let's just stay here. Let's, we're good to go. Uh, as, as, as David said in Psalm 27, my desire is to live in the very presence, the very temple of the Lord. And so I'm going to make some. And so we're going we're gonna to live right here. I, I don't know. All I know is that if I were there, I would have done something way sillier than that. So he did it. But God, you see. No, 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 no. Don't do that. God announces, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And at that moment, Moses and Elijah are gone. 
Moses and Elijah did what they came to do. Moses and Elijah came as forerunners. Moses as the model prophet. Elijah as the one to say and to prepare the way of the one to come. But now the one has come and we don't need them anymore. And and other than to listen to them, point to Jesus, to see them, point to Jesus. We don't need them anymore. We don't need the tabernacles. In fact, Jesus is the very presence of God among us. He's the very tabernacle of God. John would write in his introduction to his gospel that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, tented among us, lived among us. So, so we, don't, we don't need to make anything for him. The point is he's made something for us. He's the very presence of God with us. And so then the father says, now, of course, what that means is that you're t- to listen to him. Listening was always on Jesus' mind. When he spoke. Can't you hear the refrain? He who has ears to hear. Let him hear. Can't you hear him say? Why don't you understand? Are your hearts so hard? That you can't perceive the truth. And I would add, when it's standing right in front of you, can't you see it? Can't you hear it? Don't you listen? So the father says, listen to him. Why listen to him? Why listen to Jesus and no one else? Listen to Jesus because he's the son of God. He's the authority of God. He is God the son. He isn't like Moses who's just a servant in the house. He's the house. Not just a servant in the temple. He's the temple. Not just a servant of the Lord. He's the Lord. So listen, you see. Listen to him. He's the word of God. And he's the final word of God. Notice how the author of Hebrews puts it. Hebrews In chapter 1, in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, his son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of Of his nature. That's what Peter, James, and John saw. The glory of God in Jesus. But he's the last word. If this earth remains for 10,000 more years, there'll be no other word. He's the last word, the final word word, the only necessary word, and that is the word that is from and the word that is in uh, Jesus. So the question is, what's he say? What are we supposed to listen to with Jesus? He said, remember these things. He said, I'm the bread of life. He said, you can't live without me. Now, we know he was in physical bread. But he compared himself to the manna, 
that gave life, that was a gift from God, that they needed to live physically. He says, if you want to live spiritually, then you, you need me. There's no other way to live other than through and by me. I'm the bread of life and the light of the world. You can't see. You really can't see God. You really can't see you. You really can't see others. You really can't see life apart from me and the light of the world. He said, I'm the door. You can't get in lest you go through me. I'm the good shepherd. You'll die. Who'll be there to guide you? Who'll be there to lead you? Who'll be there to to feed you? Who'll be there to protect you? I'm the good shepherd. Without me, you're lost, you see. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I'm the way to the Father. I'm the truth. And I'm the only giver of life. In fact, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even if he dies, you see. There's no life, real life, eternal life. No life apart from me. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the true vine. Unless you're a branch of mine, unless you're connected to me, you'll just simply wither up and die. See, so that's, that's who I am. And the father says, now listen to him. This is my word to you. He isn't giving you a philosophy of life. He's telling you about himself. He's telling you, trust him. And so you're to trust him. Jesus came and he said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. Listen to him. Be saved by him. He said, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Yoking is a way uh, that a teacher would uh, talk about uh, being yoked to his disciples. That is, it's a learning thing. It's, it's come alongside me. Come be yoked to me. Learn from me. Allow me to be your mentor, to be your teacher, to be your discipler. You be my disciple. You be my follower. Come uh, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm, I'm gentle. I'm humble. And you'll find rest for yourselves. Why? Because this way, my way, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why is it? Because he's lifting ours. That's the gospel. He lifts our burden. He lifts our burden to live a perfect life that we can't live to please God. He lifts the burden of having to pretend that we're better than we are. He lifts the burden that, that when we feel the real guilt that's really ours, he lifts it from us, you see. And he says, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And, and I'll, I'll give you all the things necessary uh, to, to answer my call. I'll, I'll give you faith. I'll, I'll, I'll give you strength. I'll give you understanding. I'll, I'll give all of that to you. So, so come, my yoke is is easy. My burden is light. He said, he said, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Listen, what's he saying? Is he saying, well, there's some righteous and some sinners. You righteous are fine. I'll leave you alone. I'm only here for the sinners. No, 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 no. Listen to him. He's saying, his tongue sticking in his cheek. I haven't come to call the righteous. I've come. I've come to call you. And I've come to call you to repentance. Turn away from all of that. And come, you see, 
and follow me. In fact, if you want to be one of my disciples, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. You'll find your life in me. Repent and believe in the gospel for the kingdom of God is here. That's what he said. We're to, to listen to him. Now you see, if you don't think that God exists, if you don't think that he came in Jesus, if you don't think he doesn't love, if you don't think he isn't just, then you haven't heard. If you think you're good enough, that if you have more time, that you can spend any moment in time waiting to trust him and that that time will be well spent, then you haven't heard. If you think the world is going to improve, if you think the world is going to improve only if we learn more, work more, become more accepting, become more tolerant, become more just, become more caring, if you think all of that's going to improve the world, then you haven't, you really haven't heard. If you think that if only we had the right government, the right representatives, the right governor, the right president, the right judges, if you think then that all will be well, then you really haven't heard. If you think that if only you had the right job, the right spouse, the right kids, the right parents, more money in the bank, a bigger house, better health, if you think if you were just more attractive, had more friends, then all would be well then you haven't heard. If you think that if only we would better share our resources so we can alleviate poverty and eliminate homelessness, then all would be well. Uh, you haven't heard. If you think that if only we could eliminate cancer and find a cure for heart disease and everything else that ails us, then all would be well. Then you haven't heard. If you think that if we could just reduce sexual immorality in our culture, then all would be well. You haven't heard. If you say my sins are too great, they can't be forgiven, then you haven't heard. And if you say I'm not good enough, and I can never be good enough, so I can never be saved, then you haven't heard. If you say my life hurts too much, there can't really be any purpose in this, then you haven't heard but if you would turn away from self trust from world trust from others trust from government trust from culture trust from your own goodness trust from financial security, trust. From health, trust. To trust in Jesus. You've, you've heard, 
If you've confessed your sins and, and repented uh, and believed in the gospel, then you've heard. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you really believe that. You, that your whole rest and your whole faith, you believe that he's the Son of God and he's the Savior of sinners. And you believe yourself to be a sinner. And you believe yourself thus to be that one of whom he has saved because you fit the qualification. If you really believe that, then you really have heard if you have said, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me, a sinner, then you really have heard. If you desire to live a life dependent upon all that Jesus is and all that Jesus promises, to live a life dependent upon his spirit at work within you to conform him, conform you to his image. And you really, really have heard if your hope is that a day will come when he will return and all then will be well, then you have heard. Father says, Jesus is my beloved son. See him. As he is in all of his glory, listen. Listen to him. Hmm. Let's pray. Father, I pray for me, for us, that that would be true, that I, that we would listen to Jesus, and in listening, that we would turn away from everything that isn't him and trust all that is. So be with us. Be with us, I pray. Father, we know people, we have dear friends who do not believe any of this. And so we pray that you would provide an epiphany. That in the hearing of your word, that they would see the glory of Jesus. And in seeing the glory of Jesus, they would see Yes, their lostness, but also would see Jesus as the one who saves. Father, that this gospel would be heard and believed. We're helpless. We need you, God, to lift the veil that we might see the very glory of God in the face of Jesus. So just like on that day of creation, when you said, let there be light, that we would see the light of the glory of God in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Father, there are times, of course, in all of our lives when Life is difficult and life is hard, whether it be because of disease or whether it be because of financial struggles, whether it be because of relationship struggles that we might have, whether it be because of, of just the world in which we live and reading the newspaper and understanding what people in life go through and, 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 and the feelings of our own helplessness of how can we help anyone and all of that, God, that we see in the, in the world in which we live. And, and, and so I pray for me, I pray for us that as, as all of that happens in our lives, and we would indeed find our rest, God, in our Lord Jesus, that we would repent of, of trusting in anything else and, and trusting 
and then come to trust in him anew and afresh and trust in him alone. And so, Father, for those of us suffering, uh, our, our Meki, Santee, as she receives treatment for her cancer, um, as uh, Marjorie Miller received treatment for her cancer, as Steve Hornberger receives treatment for his, for others I don't even know about who are facing such difficulties. That God, you would provide epiphany to sustain. And for us as a church, Father, we, we live in a world that, that at times seems to, to, to like us and other times seem not. And, and uh, at times when we seem to be able to work well within and other times not so much. And yet we know the history of people like us. Uh, we've had a time of great peace. I pray that peace would continue, but if, if not, I pray that you would be with us, give us epiphany, that we would really have seen Jesus and live off that, seen him by way of the truth of the word that we have before us, and that we would live. Enable us to be faithful to you, and that we would continue to speak boldly that which is true of Jesus, that others might see. This, I pray, In Jesus' name.